0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Ask the Horse Live. I'm your host, Michelle Anderson, digital managing editor of The Horse. Tonight, we're talking about horse pasture management. Spring is on its way, which for many of us means it's about time to transition our horses from hay to pasture. Well, how well those pastures can nourish our horses depends on how well we nourish and care for those pastures. And it's definitely not as easy as throwing out some seed and waiting for it to grow. Proper pasture care improves yields, and can carry our horses throughout the growing season. To help guide us so that we're making the right decisions for our pastures, we're joined tonight by Dr. Krishona Martinson, who's an equine extension specialist at University of Minnesota. Welcome, Dr. Martinson.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to this.
0: Yeah, me too. We have a huge, uh, had a huge registration, so we're expecting a lot of activity tonight um, from everyone who's listening. So before we get started though, can you tell us a little bit about your background and the research that you've done related to equine pasture management?
1: Sure, so I'm an agronomist by training, which means I study crops and forages like pasture and hay. So my PhD is in agronomy with a specialization in weed science. And my research really focuses on optimizing forage utilization in the horse, both in the form of pasture and for- pasture and hay, since it's such a huge part of the horse's diet. We have conducted numerous research projects focused on grazing. We have grazed horses on pure legumes, cool season grasses, warm season grasses, cover crops, annual grasses, various mixtures of all of those things. Um, Plus we've done research on things like grazing muzzles and slow feed hay nets. Um, I also am a horse owner myself, and with my daughters I compete in local timed events. Okay. Well, we have lots of
0: questions to get to. Um, I do want to make a quick note, though, before we get started. For our listeners, uh, Dr. Martinson is a PhD with a specialized knowledge of equine management and pastures. Uh, The doctor in front of her name does not equal veterinarian, which means she won't be answering questions about your veterinary medical needs uh, beyond general horse care and nutrition uh, related to pasture management. So if you have a horse with PPID that you need information about uh, grazing them on pastures or treatment, then we would direct those questions to your veterinarian. So does that sound clear, Dr. Martinson? Yes. Okay. I wanna talk to everyone about our Ask a Horse Live format. We're gonna be starting with the questions that everyone submitted during registration. If you have a question that you'd like to ask or would like a clarification on one of Dr. Martinson's responses, you can enter that in the chat window in front of you if you're joining us online rather than via phone. Uh, We're gonna do our best to get to as many of your questions as possible. If you're listening to our archive or the podcast, and you're interested in joining us live during one of our events you can register to receive our announcements at thehorse.com or visit thehorse.com ask the horse live so let's go ahead and get started so we have a question from danette in california and danette wants to know if grazing grass um if you're grazing grass to help cut hay costs and she weighs her hay on average How much does a horse graze pounds per hour? So basically, if you're going from feeding your horse hay as forage, what weight do you need to replace it with, or how many hours of grazing do you need to replace that weight
1: with? Sure. That that is a great question. And actually, we have some really great numbers from my colleagues at North Carolina State University. There's really only five or six of us that focus on horse pasture research, and Minnesota and North Carolina are one of those they found that horses ingest 0.26 pounds of dry matter per 220 pounds of body weight per hour. So what that translates into is a thousand pound horse that grazes for 16 hours a day, excuse me, would consume about 19 pounds of dry matter pasture. Now, we all think that horses graze 24 hours a day and they never stop eating, but they usually graze for about 16 hours a day out of a 24 hour day if left, you know, just to graze willingly. The interesting thing is, is that because pasture grass is about 75% moisture, when you account for the moisture, they're actually uh, consuming about 76 pounds of fresh pasture during that 16 hour time period. So, if you're transitioning your horse from, you know, hay to pasture, if you're allowing them to graze for 12 to 16 hours a day, you can kind of assume that they're eating a sufficient amount. Most horses will actually overconsume calories and will start to gain weight. So
0: I have a follow-up question to that because the, I think the most recent research that I've seen, uh, and I've been looking at this recently because I'm managing a horse with gastric ulcers, is that mm-hmm. you really don't want to fast for more than four hours. So uh, try, you try to keep forage in front of them. So if they're eating for 16 hours a day on pasture, can you just pull them into a stall and leave them without supplemental hay for that time? Or would you be fasting them for too long before they went
1: back out on the pasture? <laughs> Yeah, so that is a great question. Um, When we say that they graze for 16 hours, so over that 24 hour period, they graze a total of 16 hours. So they may graze for two hours, take a 30 minute break, you know, play with their friends, rest, relax, groom, go back out and graze. So horses are designed to eat very frequent small meals. Um, So that 16 hours doesn't mean that we're just putting them out, out in the pasture for 16 hours, because even if we give them just 16 hours of grazing time, they won't graze that entire 16 hours. So if your horse has access to the pasture for 16 hours and then is put into the stall for eight hours, what I would recommend is feeding a high fiber hay out of a hay net so that it slows them down, they have something to chew on, so they produce that buffering saliva to help them not get the ulcers.
0: We have a question from our live audience. Nancy is in Kentucky and would like to know how she can create a safe pasture for an insulin resistant horse.
1: Some of her pastures
0: mm. double as hay fields.
1: Yeah, so <clears throat> this is sometimes I have to deliver bad or disappointing news. There are some classes of horses where the pasture is just never going to be safe. Um, uh, you know, most of the US has cool season grass pastures. Those are species like orchard grass, brome grass, timothy fescues. With insulin resistant horses, obese horses, lamnitic horses, even horses with Cushing's, we are very concerned about the amount of non-structural carbohydrates they take in while grazing. And her, those pasture grasses are just really high. So if you are managing a horse with insulin resistance equine metabolic syndrome, laminitis, Cushing's, and even a horse that is obese, you really need to put them in a dry lot, feed them hay that is lower in non-structural carbohydrates or has been soaked to be lower in non-structural carbohydrates, and there really isn't a safe pasture for them. That is the bad news.
0: Yeah, especially for someone living in Kentucky. I I'm in Oregon in the in the high desert, but my coworkers are all there in Lexington, and yeah. I I never realized that you could be in a situation where it was hard to have a dry lot sacrifice area um, until I started going to Lexington frequently, and their grass just grows so beautifully. So definitely yeah, it, a challenge.
1: It it, it really is, and all of those grasses are just naturally high in non-structural carbohydrates because that's the energy source. And if you think about it, we want horses on pasture, you know, yearlings and weanlings and two-year-olds so they grow, that's their energy. We want cattle on pasture so they produce milk and meat. And unfortunately, some horses just can't tolerate that. And the, the dry lot is really the safest environment and the easiest way to manage them.
0: Our next question is from Anne Marie in Arkansas, and she said if you could make only one or two basic first steps for horse owners to move towards a nutritious
1: pasture, what would they be? So I think pastures are, uh, you know, are, are usually quite energy dense or nutritious. But I'm, I'm assuming she probably means how to make them more productive because pasture costs about the third um, is about the third cost of hay, and that's why people like to invest the time and energy in pasture. The biggest issue we see across the U.S., and it doesn't matter where you're at, is simply overgrazing. People need to pull the horses off, have that dry lot, have a separate pasture, or multiple smaller pastures where they can rotate and allow that pasture to regrow. We never want our pastures grazed lower than three inches. And for a lot of people when you look out and you see three inches of grass, you think there's so much out there. But remember, those grasses need those little leaves to capture sunlight to make energy to keep them growing. If they only can use up the roots to keep growing, their roots expire and that's when they die and we have weeds. So avoiding overgrazing. And the other thing that is critical is you have to soil test and fertilize. Pastures need fertilizer. Remember, grazing is a stress to our pasture plants because the animals are out there, they're chewing, they're pulling, they're taking off those leaves that is needed to capture sunlight and make energy. You have hoof traffic, it is a stress. They need that fertilizer to, to, to just be productive and grow. So the first two things I would do is make sure that people aren't, over, aren't overgrazing and allowing the pasture to rest and then to have a soil test and to fertilize accordingly.
0: Our next question is from Mike in Idaho, and Mike says he has a very small pasture that's about half an acre and two horses. He wants to know what his best pasture management options are for such a small pasture with that load.
1: Yeah, so that, you know, I think a lot of people are in Mike's situation where they have several horses and a small amount of pasture, incredibly common. I think in that situation, you have to have realistic expectations Generally speaking, and this really varies widely, we know that it takes about two acres of pasture to meet one horse's nutritional needs throughout the growing season. And that means that that pasture is well-managed, we have good rainfall. Now in certain parts of the arid southwest, you might need 30 acres of pasture. So again, two acres is a general starting point. So if you have two horses and a half an acre, you are gonna have to feed hay year round. The pasture is just a supplement to the hay. Um, And I think you, as long as horse owners have that realistic expectation, you can then manage your pasture appropriately. Um, You know, I'm a horse owner as well and and I know pasture is intimidating to people but it's actually pretty basic. There's only five things you need to do whether you have a half an acre of pasture or 40 acres of pasture you need to be mowing that pasture, you need to be resting it to allow it to, to to regrow, you need to be dragging it during the hot and dry times to disperse the manure piles and kill the parasites, control weeds with either mowing or herbicide when necessary, and then fertilize when needed. So again, those five things are mowing, rest, dragging, weed control, and fertilizing. You only need to know those five things.
0: Do you find in working with horse owners that they are reluctant to mow their
1: pastures? Um, I I I don't know if they're reluctant. I don't, sometimes I don't know if they know that they should be mowing it. So as we all know, horses do not graze evenly across the pasture like other species do. They are very selective grazers. We see that in our research all the time. Um, and because they have that more narrow nose and, and teeth unlike cattle, they can really selectively graze. So the problem is horses like things that are short and lush and newly growing. So if they graze an area of the pasture down to a couple inches, that grass is going to continue to try to regrow and the horses are going to consistently go after that newly growing grass. Where just two feet from there, maybe they've defecated there or urinated, or maybe they just don't like what's growing there, you can see grass that's four, five, six, seven inches tall, and you're thinking, why aren't you eating that? Well, if you mow it all down and allow it to regrow, it, sets, it resets the pasture, and horses tend to graze more evenly. So I think once horse owners understand the importance of mowing, they are more likely to mow, um, but you know, mowing is, it is a time investment in that pasture, but it's critical. Our
0: next question is from Mary in Idaho and it's a question that during the registration we received this question over and over again mm-hmm. uh, and she wants to know uh, how, what resources do you recommend for finding the best pasture grass to grow in your area for your horses? There's a lot of regional differences. How do you know what's right in your yeah,
1: area? You, you are absolutely right. Uh, pasture management is very region specific. And the best place to start is really your local university and your local extension office. Um, interestingly though, cool season grasses like those blue grasses, orchard grass, fescue, they really are dominant in the upper two thirds of the US. So where you are Michelle, where I am in Minnesota and really across that two thirds from coast to coast, cool season grasses with maybe some legumes like white clover mixed in is the way to go. Now when you get down to the south, they rely, uh, you know, the southern one-third of the U.S., they're going to rely a lot more on those warm season perennial grasses like Bermuda grass and Bahia grass. Um, but again, what you know, the recommendation for what to plant in your area is very dependent on where you live. Extension is the best resource. We have found um, a mixture of endophyte-free tall fescue, perennial ryegrass, Kentucky bluegrass, and Timothy is a really great mix for that upper two-thirds of the U.S. and does really well under horse grazing. Um, And we have a lot more information on that research project on our website.
0: And I'm I'm gonna circle back to uh, endophyte free because that's a big topic of discussion as well but before we get to that I want to ask you about the differences between those cold season grasses and the warm season grasses is it really just Mm -hmm. some grow in in cooler climates and others go in warmer ones or is there any other difference between those types of grasses
1: no you are right on so cool season grasses do well um, in the cooler parts of the U.S. where those warm season grasses do well in the warmer parts so for example, in Minnesota, it is simply too cold for us to grow um, Bahia grass or Bermuda grass. It just doesn't survive the winter. But interestingly enough, these species have very different nutritive values. So uh, in general, warm season grasses are higher in fiber, lower in crude protein, lower in non-structural carbohydrates, and lower in energy. Our cool season grasses, Are just the opposite. They're higher in um, non-structural carbohydrates, higher in crude protein, higher in energy, and higher in fiber, or I'm sorry, lower in those fiber values. So if you are in the southern third and you actually have more options to manage some of those disease-prone horses, like that insulin-resistant horse, um, you know, or that laminitic prone horse, in the upper two-thirds of the U.S., one species that we have really been experimenting with and shows a lot of promise for those types of horses is an annual warm season grass called TEF, and we have been grazing that here for um, several years, and we have seen in our research that horses actually have a lower glucose and insulin response to teff while grazing on it, but it's an annual, and it's a really finicky seed. It's hard to plant, so I don't know how practical it is but it is something that we think holds a lot of promise in the future. So let's
0: go back to the the endophyte free fescue. So that's something that uh, certain people in our audience probably have heard a lot about and other people Mm -hmm. haven't just depending on where they live. So can you explain what that is and why uh, endophytes are a concern in our fescue for our horses?
1: Yes, absolutely. So tall fescue is everywhere, you know, border to border, coast to coast in the US. Um, The issue is not with tall fescue itself. The issue is with the endophyte that is in the tall fescue. So the endophyte that is in the tall fescue actually makes the plant hardier, Um, but the problem is it also produces a toxicity that's a huge issue for pregnant mares, especially in their last trimester. So that endophyte makes the fescue in that southern part of the US, especially in that kind of Mason-Dixon line border of Kentucky and Tennessee and kind of across that area. Um, It really helps the plant ward off drought and insects and diseases. Well, in Minnesota, we have winter, which kills all of those things, including the human spirit. Um, (laughs) So, you know, we, we don't have endophyte infected tall fescue in our area because of winter. The, the, the recommendations are pretty clear for, um, for horses. If you are grazing endophyte infected tall fescue and you have brood mares, you need to remove them in their last trimester to avoid major problems. The research indicates that there isn't a lot of issues with stallions, with looking at their reproductive efficiencies or geldings. Um, and if, so, you know, it's really only a problem if you have brood mares, but they've done a really great job with research in managing horses on these endophyte infected tall fescues. We also have great um, advancements where there's a novel endophyte that still provides the benefit to tall fescue but doesn't produce a toxin. And I think people are slowly planting that instead of the endophyte-infected um, tall fescue. And there's other things you can do as well. There are actually herbicides that will remove the fescue, but not, for example, bluegrass. Um, you can oversee to try to thin out um, that endophyte-infected tall fescue with things like orchard grass and um, um, Kentucky bluegrass. But the problem is, that endophyte makes the tall fescue really hardy, and it's kind of hard to get rid of. But I think most people have been able to successfully manage it, because by all estimates, there's about 700,000 horses that graze tall fescue across the U.S., and the amount of problems is fairly minimal for the amount of horses that graze it.
0: And so some of those issues for those broodmares, I'm, I'm trying to remember what they are. There, the uh, foals develop too large, correct, um, before birth or the gestation period goes a little bit long, and then there's yep. a, a milk production issue also, yep. isn't there?
1: Yep. So it's, it's that longer gestation, which leads to b- bigger foals, and then just because of the size, more um, issues with foaling, um, more retained placenta, um, less milk production, <clears throat> and if you're also managing cattle, you see the same things. So it's really any time you have any kind of breeding stock and you're in that area where there's, you know, endophyte-infected tall fescue, you have to follow those guidelines.
0: Our next question is from Carol in Ohio, and she wants to know, how do you start a good horse pasture on newly cleared property?
1: Uh, So this is a great question. Um, The very first thing you need to do before you even plant a seed in the ground is you need to take a soil test. A soil test is good for three years and most soil tests costs around twenty bucks. So divided by three, nothing in horse ownership is that affordable, right? No um, so you, yes. So you have to do it because it'll tell you if you need lime to adjust the pH and how much nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium you need and other nutrients. I nobody can look at a soil and say you need X, Y, and Z. The only way to know is to have that soil test, so it is critical. The other thing that I would recommend with a newly established pasture is make sure your ground is as smooth as possible because you're going to be mowing and dragging and fertilizing, and the last thing you want to do is be rattling across these large, you know, unsmooth area. Um, So make sure it's smooth, but you also want the ground firm. So when you step out there, if you step onto your pasture before you seed it and that ground covers your boot, it is way too soft. You should barely leave a shoe print in that ground because remember, these pasture seeds are tiny. You want to plant them like a quarter of an inch deep so they're planted very shallow so the ground has to be firm. Once it's planted, you have to pray that mother nature cooperates with you and you have rainfall and good weather. Um, Then most people make the mistake of simply grazing too early. That if you plant, for example, say you plant a, a new pasture in May, you are not going to be grazing that pasture probably until August or September. And that is because horses graze with a lot of force, and you need to make sure that those newly established seedlings are firmly rooted so they do not get pulled out. And we do this by letting the grass grow up a cut, co- like about six inches, mowing it down to four inches. That mowing simulates grazing and really encourages those plants to take root. And we want to do that for three cycles. Let it grow, mow. Let it grow, mow. Um, And this is critically, I mean, this is important because our estimates to establish a pasture is about $200 an acre. So, this isn't something to be taken lightly, but if you take care of that investment, it will last indefinitely. So, you know, I think the biggest thing is, again, soil testing, firm seedbed, mow and let it grow for three cycles and just know that you're not gonna be able to graze it the minute you see a hint of green out there.
0: Okay, so it might be tempting to do that, but but wait, yes. be patient. Yes,
1: you have to wait, yes.
0: Our next question is from Lisa in Arkansas, and she wants to know if a pre-emergent is the best way to knock out weeds in a pasture, when is the best time to spray?
1: You know, I'm really glad I have a degree in weed science because I identify more plants and weeds and answer this question a lot. Um, so unlike your lawn, really post-emergence is the way to go in a pasture, um, and a lot of people you know, ask what to spray. The problem is herbicides are labeled for a site, so first of all, you need to make sure that the herbicide you want to use is labeled for a pasture and not a lawn, because a herbicide that is labeled for a pasture will have a grazing restriction included where the herbicide labeled for a lawn will not. And you wanna make sure it's safe because if you follow the directions on the herbicide label, it is safe for the horses to graze. And uh, it's hard to recommend a specific herbicide because it depends on what weeds you're trying to kill. Now, as for time of year, um, usually going into the fall when a lot of your perennial or harder to control weeds, are taking all those nutrients and putting it into the root to overwinter. I mean, even if you don't have a severe winter, this is occurring. So the fall is usually the best time um, to spray for uh, perennial weeds. A lot of our annual weeds can be controlled by mowing, but if you have some tricky ones that start growing more prostrate and below your mower blades, um, then you can really try to get rid of those annual weeds in the spring.
0: We have a follow-up question on the planting a new pasture from Hannah in our live audience. She wants to know what temperature is best for planting seeds so that they germinate. Is there a temperature that's too cold or too hot?
1: So that's a really good question. And we don't usually look at soil temperature except for our warm season grasses, where we know we want the, the soil temperature to be above 60, 65 degrees. But with our cool season grasses, first of all, you need to make sure that definitely the snow is gone, the frost is out and you can till. But really, as soon as you can till that pasture area that's dry enough to get the equipment out there, and it's, you know, it's, you're fine to, to, to seed. Um, some people will say that once the lilacs bloom, it's safe to seed. Um, I don't know if that really stands true, but that's kind of a benchmark that a lot of people use.
0: We have a question from Susan in our live audience who'd like to know how often and at what length should you mow your
1: grass? Yeah, so that's a great question. So we never wanna mow our pasture grasses below three inches because remember we need to leave them some leaf surface to capture sunlight to make energy. The how often part um, r- really depends on the size of pasture and the number of horses you have. For example, um, you know, ideally I'd like to see every horse farm have a dry lot and two pastures. That way you can kind of rotationally graze, but it's not overwhelming, and you have an area to house the horses. So if you have two pastures and you're you're, you're rotating pretty frequently, in theory, every time you rotate the horse off of a pasture, you should mow it. In some areas, you will mow nothing. In other areas, you'll mow a lot. Now, I'm a very practical person, and I realize that you don't want to spend your entire summer mowing. You actually want to ride your horse. Mm -hmm. So I would say at a minimum, if you can mow your pasture three times a year, um, and if, I, I think that would be great. More frequent is better, but again, we have to look at the practicality of all of this.
0: We have a question from Steve in Oregon and he says that he's prepping a new irrigated pasture starting new lawns he's found that the weeds seem to establish faster than the planted grasses what advice do you have for preventing weeds when starting a pasture from scratch
1: oh I have bad news for Steve the weeds you, you cannot avoid the weeds so weeds are very tricky um, you know one one weed will produce thousands hundreds of of seeds. About 75% of those seeds will germinate immediately or within that year. That other 25% of seeds will last indefinitely. And a a few of them will emerge every single year. So you really can't avoid the weeds. Um, Really the best thing you can do is have really good tillage to kill anything that is growing before you seed. Um, you know, seed and then really, he he has an irrigated pasture so he can start irrigating immediately to get those grasses to germinate. You know, pasture grasses are really competitive against weeds if they have the moisture and a little bit of a head start. Um, Then we need to make sure that we do not start grazing. The mowing, you know, that whole cycle of let it grow up six inches, mow it down to four inches. That mowing cycle really helps with weeds the thing to keep in mind is that newly planted pastures are very susceptible to herbicides, even ones that are labeled. So during that first year of growth, you cannot apply a herbicide. You have to just hope you get a good stand established, hope for good moisture. Steve has irrigation so he can check that box. And then mowing is your best friend in avoiding overgrazing. But unfortunately, there's nothing magical that I could that I can recommend to, to to compete against weeds. But again, a well-managed pasture will outcompete most weeds if managed properly.
0: We have a question following up on herbicides from Michelle in our live audience. She would like Mm -hmm. to know which herbicides are safe for horse pastures and
1: safe for the horses. So that's a great question. So again, herbicides are labeled for a site. The site could be a lawn, an apple orchard, a cornfield, or a pasture. If the herbicide is labeled for a pasture, it has been evaluated under grazing livestock. And because um, cattle, milk and meat is consumed in the US, cattle are always evaluated and, and horses are to some degree, but cattle are included on that label. So you need to follow those cattle recommendations. So again, if the herbicide is labeled for a pasture and you follow the grazing restriction, It is considered a safe product for horses. I know people have different feelings for herbicides. A herbicide definitely isn't needed, but it does give owners that instant gratification they're looking for because you can see those weeds dying, which makes us all feel good and happy. Um, Mowing can help, but it can take seven years of mowing to really control a, 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 a heavy, dense patch of weeds. So people just have to have realistic expectations whether they choose to use a herbicide or not.
0: Our next question is from Teresa in Virginia, and she wants to know what is the best way to help an overgrazed pasture recover? What should the sequence and timing be for the year first year of recovery for that?
1: Yeah, so that's a great that's a great question. And the answer is you have to have patience. So first thing is I would want to make sure with an overgrazed pasture that that horse facility or that owner has the ability to build a dry lot so they can house those horses to number one, Help that pasture regrow and then not to have it happen in the future Um, if I had an overgrazed pasture the first thing I would do is pull the horses off I would mow everything down if I could if it wasn't like you know taken over by large woody um, weeds but I would mow everything down and just see what grows I would take a soil test and I would immediately fertilize according to what that soil test suggests Um, so once I fertilized and saw what grew, if I needed to use a herbicide, if it was incredibly weedy, um, I, and again, we're looking for a herbicide labeled for a pasture, I could use a herbicide or I could just continue to mow. But with an overgrazed pasture, what it needs is it needs rest and fertility. So again, keep the horses off, see what grows. And you know she asked for a timeline and this is tough because if you've had a pasture that's been overgrazed for years, you may need a year to get that pasture back up. If you've had a pasture that's only been overgrazed for a short time, maybe a couple months because you've had a drought, you would be surprised how well that pasture would recover simply by by moving those horses off. So the name of this game is pull the horses off, mow it, take a soil test, fertilize accordingly, and then see what grows. Use a herbicide or mowing to control weeds and let that pasture rest. Let it regrow up to six inches before you start grazing. Start grazing slowly to acclimate the horses. Um, And then when that pasture overall reaches three inches, put the horses on another pasture, put them back in your dry lot to avoid that overgrazing cycle from keeping on happening.
0: Our next question is from Sandra in Montana, and she wants to know if it's true that using manure can be more effective than using commercial
1: fertilizers on your pasture. Geez, your your listeners have such great questions. Um, You know, it's actually the opposite. So, man made fertilizers, you know, the little pellets that are reddish, you know, pinkish, and and white, they are in a form that is able to be taken up by the plants immediately, whereas the manure actually has to decompose, um, which makes the nutrients, especially nitrogen, more available over time. So, this is good and bad where if your pasture really, really needs fertilizer and it is really deficient in nutrients, the manure takes too long. Um, But the man-made fertilizers or the pelleted fertilizers will be great. Now there's a few caveats, as there always is in horse ownership. We get a lot of questions about when is it appropriate to apply manure to a pasture? So, um, and this really revolves around a parasite load. So if you have one horse per two acres, or or more, so you're at that kind of generalized um, stocking density, you can actually apply some manure back onto your pasture. But if you're like the gentleman that has two horses and a half an acre, you cannot apply manure to that area because what the horses naturally deposit is sufficient and you do not want to increase the parasite load of that area. Now, if your manure is composted, that's a different scenario Composted manure, we can add a quarter of an inch annually to the pasture. Simply, you know, it's not very much, but that compost is really, really hot or nutrient dense. And if you add on a thick amount, we've actually seen the pasture burned um, because that compost is so nutrient dense. So, um, you know, you have to be careful of the scenarios of where you apply manure back onto your pasture. And also keep in mind, horses do not like to graze where they defecate. So if you are applying manure, you're gonna to have to intensify your dragging efforts and hope for some rainfall to help you know, eliminate that manure so the horses will freely graze over that entire area.
0: So do horses find the compost less
1: offensive than fresh manure or fresher um, manure? I, I, you know, I, I, I'm not sure about that, but it, it just breaks down more quickly. Right. So one thing we never want to put out into your pasture is straw or any kind of shavings. We really want to put just the pure apples or the pure manure because we know that with dragging and rainfall that it breaks down pretty quickly. Um, so it really it's it's a breakdown game when we talk about manure management on a pasture.
0: We have a question from Gail in our live audience and she's asking about the right kind of species to use for hay production do you have any suggestions or is that something that varies regionally like uh, selecting sure. grass for
1: pasture? So I, I think that will have to be our next live event is something on hay so okay. interestingly enough in a pasture we always want we want our dominant species to be a sod forming species like Kentucky bluegrass um, in a hay field we want just the opposite we want something that grows um, that grows tall so that we can have more yield because we're taking expensive equipment across these fields to get hay at the end of the day. So some of our common cool season grass mixtures, if you're looking for a cool season grass hay, um, a really common mixture would be orchard grass, brome grass, and a little bit of Timothy. Um, you want about 25 total pounds of seed per acre, um, probably eight to ten of orchard grass, uh, a couple, you know, maybe two pounds of Timothy, and the rest in brome grass. Um, now, that's going to be for the upper third part of the U.S. Um, you know, I, I just don't do a lot of research with the warm season grasses, and that's a whole different beast. So I'm sorry I can't, you know, give a suggestion for that part of the country. But, yes, uh, it, you really can't hay a pasture or graze a hay field because you have different species that have different strengths and can withstand cutting or grazing.
0: So that was going to be my next question following up on that is it appropriate to graze your horses on your hay field after you've harvested?
1: You know, um, uh, people most certainly do. But the issue with grazing a hay field is when you cut hay and it dries, you always rake it. So if you are going to harvest your hay field and then allow horses to, to graze it after, you need to make sure that you're not raking up manure in a subsequent cutting. So a lot of times people will you know, maybe cut first or second crop and then allow the horses to graze more towards the fall when the hay will start to go dormant. Um, And that's maybe okay, but research is pretty clear that what you take off in the fall isn't there in the spring. So if you're grazing your horses in the fall, you're gonna have less yield that first cutting, you know, that following summer. So it's kind of a give and a take. And, you know, the species that we plant for hay do best because they are harvested two to six times a year, where the species that we recommend for grazing do best under kind of more of that consistent grazing pressure and more frequent grazing pressure. So it's not ideal. Do people do it? Yes. Are there some extra management steps to take? Absolutely.
0: Our next question is from Roberta in Tennessee, and she wants to know if it's a good idea to fertilize a horse pasture each spring for her easy keeper horses? Or will that make the pastures too lush for them?
1: Yeah, so this is a, a similar question to what we had previously. And, you know, it is critical to fertilize your pasture because the pasture needs those nutrients to produce. Because remember, grazing, even cutting hay is a stress to that forage. So one thing that we do know is when you fertilize, especially with nitrogen, you do tend to increase the crude protein content of the pasture. But as we previously kind of touched on, these pasture grasses are just nutrient dense or quote unquote lush to start with. So the fertilizing really won't impact her easy keeper because the pasture is probably too lush for the easy keeper to start with. Um, A few things she could do is we've done research with grazing muzzles and regardless of the species that are being grazed, we found that the weaver grazing muzzles or the kind of traditional basket grazing muzzles reduces intake by 30%. Um, She could reduce the amount of time the horse grazes or if the horse is sound, she could just ride and exercise it more. Um, But easy keepers on pasture is tough because it's lush no matter if you fertilize it or not. But from a pasture perspective, you have to fertilize it.
0: Rhonda and our live audience would like to know how long you should leave two horses to graze on a pasture before rotating them out to another part of the pasture or a different pasture.
1: Yeah, so that's a great suggestion. So you really need to look at the pasture height, and again, it can be challenging because they do not graze evenly. So I like to take a water bottle with me, just like a standard water bottle. When that, when the grass is over the top of that water bottle, when you set it down, like you set it on the counter, you can start grazing. When you look out over that pasture and you turn that water bottle on its side and it's about two to, it's about three inches tall, when a majority of that pasture is down to three inches, even though you may have little areas that are tall where they won't graze, you have to rotate the horses. So if you have a small pasture like one of the previous questions, you could be rotating really quickly, really frequently, where if you have a larger pasture and fewer horses, you don't rotate as often but going off the height of the grass is probably one of the easiest indicators of when to rotate.
0: Francis in South Carolina wants to know if you have suggestions
1: for organic
0: pasture management.
1: Oh, oh, you, 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 a mowing and avoid overgrazing and just have realistic expectations. Um, you know, I, I know a lot of people uh, prefer organic management and that's fantastic. But you have to have realistic expectations. Your pasture probably isn't going to produce as much. Um, you're going to have to mow and mow frequently to help control weeds because you will not be able to use a herbicide. You're going to have to really avoid overgrazing and you'll have to overseed thin spots. So it's really just kind of management on steroids um, if, if you're going to go if your goal is to have an organic pasture.
0: So, maybe more pasture management and less riding.
1: (laughs) 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 Yeah. Yeah. Or hire more people. Yeah. Or or that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, We have a question from Denise in our live audience who says buttercups are becoming a problem in her pastures and that control by spraying has not worked for her. Is there anything that will get rid of problem buttercups that is still safe for horses?
1: So, you know, there are a number of herbicides, so I don't know if she can tell you what she has used. Um, but buttercup is an issue because it causes photosensitivity in horses when they, when they graze it. Um, and usually buttercup tends to be in a more wet area. So sometimes with some of these weeds, you know, a lot of our poisonous plants tend to grow in wet areas or shady areas. So in wet areas, you have to look at the underlying drainage and try to encourage the water to drain. And with shady areas, you have to try to figure out how to get more sunlight in. Um, But trying a different herbicide, because again, there are hundreds that she could choose from likely. Um, Overseeding, thickening up the grass in that area, because grass will outcompete weeds if it's healthy. Making sure she has fertilized according to a soil test will really help. And making sure that area isn't overgrazing. So those are just some mechanical things she can do. Um, And then of course, uh, you know, ask her local extension office, go to her local egg cooperative, and ask them if they have a bit of a stronger product that will that will target um, those weeds.
0: Okay. Don in our live audience, says his horses have developed drooling from the clover mix that was established in his pastures 10 years ago. What's the best way to eradicate clover in a pasture?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So. Slobbers is caused by a mold that forms primarily on red clover, and it forms when it's very hot and humid. And we now know that it also, that mold stays on the clover even when it's baled in hay. So we've had issues where horses have been slobbering year-round, even in a northern climate where we don't, where we aren't able to graze. Um, the slobbers doesn't necessarily hurt the horse, but it really freaks people out, and it certainly is messy. The good thing is the clover is fairly easy um, to get rid of. Um, a lot of broadleaf herbicides, so basic things like 2,4-D and dicamba. And again, make sure it's labeled for your state and labeled for a pasture. These things will take out probably 75 to 80% of the, of the clovers. Now, if your pasture is primarily clover, you're going to have to you know, overseed so that those bare areas don't become weedy. But we also know that clover tends to take over pastures um, when there isn't fertility. Um, clover and we're well, all legumes, so clovers and alfalfas can fix their own nitrogen where, while grasses can't. So a lot of times we see clovers take over when people do not fertilize with nitrogen. And even if you <clears throat> spray out that red clover, if you don't fertilize according to your state guidelines or your soil fertility test, that clover will come back. Because again, there's seeds that are dormant hanging out in that ground.
0: We have a question from Barbara in our live audience, and she wants to know what legume is best to add to horse pastures.
1: Yeah, so you know, we just published a paper on that. I was just before this, before this live event, we were, um, we're just finishing up that, those finishing touches on that paper. White clover works really well. Um, Alfalfa is pretty short-lived. Red clover has the slobbers issue, um, but white clover works really well with a lot of our cool season grasses. And a few pounds goes a very long way. We have a few pounds per acre. A few pounds of... Of white clover seed per acre goes a very long way.
0: We have a follow up question about dry lots. Peg from the live audience wants to know how large a dry lot should be for one horse and if you have any guidelines for sizing.
1: Yeah, so um, uh, with any university answer, it depends. But we like to start out with 400 square feet per horse for a dry lot, that's a 20 by 20. And then of course, as you get more horses, you increase it accordingly. Now you have to account for um, if you're putting in hay feeders, if you're putting in waters, if you have a shelter, you also have to count for the horses that are in that dry lot. Do they all get along, or do you have the evil sorrel mare that tries to kill everybody? Right? So I have that the, the, one. <laughs> I, everybody has that one. So the trick with a dry lot is you want it to be small enough where it stays dirt and not large enough because, because where it becomes weedy. We did a research project a number of years ago where we looked at weeds in a dry lot because we had laminitic horses that were housed in a dry lot and on a very specific diet that were still having laminitic episodes. And we found that weeds that are commonly found in dry lots um, were very, so that, it become, that it stays weed free, but large enough so the horses are safe. And a starting point is a minimum of 400 square feet per horse, and that's a minimum.
0: And Dr. Martinson, we lost you for a little bit of that answer. So if you could could, um, give us a a succinct
1: recap, um, that would be great. A minimum of 400 square feet per horse, um, ensuring that the horses get along. Um, You wanna make sure that the dry lot stays weed free because our research shows that a lot of weeds found in dry lots can be very high in non-structural carbohydrates. Okay, thank you.
0: Um, Nope it's technology. Um, Our next question is for Jacqueline in Ontario Canada and she wants to know if you have any tips for donkey safe appropriate pasture options.
1: So um, I'm not sure how to answer that question because I would say that horses and donkeys can pretty much graze the same thing. Now if her donkey has, I know a lot of donkeys are easy keepers and they they can have issues with equine metabolic syndrome and, and insulin resistance, then we would go back to those same issues that if her donkey has a health issue um, that is tied to non-structural carbohydrates, it probably just can't graze. So I'm not exactly sure what Jacqueline is referring to, but a healthy donkey should be able to graze the same pastures a horse can, and a donkey with those health issues would have the same restrictions that a horse does, in, in my opinion.
0: We have a question from Bill in our live audience who is curious whether it makes sense to apply weed control in the spring and seed in August, late August and September. He wants to set up a pasture for next year in central Kentucky.
1: Yeah, so actually the the fall is really the best time to establish a horse pasture. So I would be completely on board with that because we know that um, fall tends to be cooler, there tends to be a bit more precipitation, and the daylight is getting shorter, and a lot of weeds are day length long, so they tend to emerge as the days are getting longer in the spring, and they tend to not emerge as much as the days are getting shorter. Now, um, if the pasture is incredibly weedy, You could certainly start with a broad spectrum herbicide like Roundup that will kill everything that it comes into contact with, and then just continue to till that field. Um, Or you could, because you want, I mean, you do have to be aware of erosion and just environmental sensitivity. Um, You could start maybe just 30 days before you wanted to seed in August, um, and then start doing a herbicide treatment. The good thing about Roundup is there's no soil residual. So you could spray Roundup and essentially plant the next day if you wanted to. But in this case, good tillage. Um, If you do have a lot of biomass, just weedy material on top, the herbicide will help, mowing will help, but just good tillage 30 days beforehand, uh, and I think you'll be okay.
0: We have a question from Sue in Ohio, and she wants to know what are the major issues with having a wooded area in your pasture?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So to me, the major issue is, is that a lot of our forages don't do well in shade. So depending on how dense the wooded area is, it could simply just be too shady for the grass to grow well. But there's also just some practical things. Although the trees are very aesthetically pleasing and we you know, we want to um, you know, save our trees too much of our ability, you need to be able to get equipment into your pasture. You need to be able to get mowers, Um, fertilizer spreaders, sprayers, so having a lot of trees in the close area makes that management really, really hard, and that intense shade doesn't allow for much growth. Um, The other thing that just kind of popped into my mind is, as we talk about the tree, is you also need to make sure that you have at least one large gate to get equipment through, so each pasture should have at least a 12-foot, ideally a 16-foot gate to get equipment in and out of.
0: And I know in our area with trees and being in the desert, uh, we have lots of junipers and those junipers are water hogs. And so yeah. it can be challenging to keep a pasture irrigated well enough when you have the junipers sucking up all the, the water. So I think that's unique to, to the high desert areas, but something else that, that trees can can do. So. Along those lines, are there any trees that would be inappropriate to have in a horse pasture?
1: Yeah, so there are some toxic trees. Um, Any tree in the cherry species is very toxic to horses, so you shouldn't plant any of those. Um, Green acorns can be toxic to horses, so oaks, but oaks are beautiful, and as long as you don't have a big storm come through that knocks on a whole bunch of green acorns, you'll be fine. Maple leaves that are wilted, only wilted ones, so in the fall there's some issues. But again, there's a ton of oaks and maples that are planted you know, throughout the U.S. in horse pastures and they're fine, it's just to be aware of. Um, the other one is black walnut, simply because uh, black walnut, because of that competition, exactly what you say. You know, The trees, whether you're in the high desert or the Midwest, They are taking up water, fertilizer, nutrients, sunlight. I mean, they are competing with the grass. Um, And black walnut is one that really does not allow any grass to grow under a strip line. And then of course the shavings or the inner heartwood, which a horse wouldn't access in a pasture is toxic to horses. That's more if you're grinding stumps um, in a pasture of black walnut.
0: Yeah, and those can cause
1: laminitis? Yeah, just stocking up in general, yep.
0: Uh, We have a question from Mark in Oregon, and he says he would appreciate advice on how to best determine or recognize that your pasture soil has become too compact. And then what advice do you have for amending those soils if they are compact?
1: Sure, so if you have compacted soils, you're not gonna have great growth of your pasture grasses. And in fact, you'll have a lot of shallow rooted weeds that grow along the surface, and that's your first clue. This is especially an issue if you have really heavy clay soils that have been wet and have been under a lot of hoof traffic. But in general, we don't see a lot of compaction issues in horse pastures. Usually we say it may be along a fence or the horse's pace or going in and out of a gate from a dry lot to a pasture. In those cases, just simple aeration like you would do in your home lawn is something that you could do. But more importantly, when pastures are really wet, keeping the horses in that dry lot until they dry out is key. We have
0: a question from Holly in Washington, and she wants to know what's the best way to manage deep holes in the ground when they're not readily visible? She said she's concerned about injury to her horses during turnout.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a concern for all horse owners. And if they're not readily visible, that's a tough situation. But if you are mowing your pasture and you are dragging your pasture, even if it's a couple times a year, you will probably find those holes and then you can fill them in and then, you know, if they're made by critters, try to control those critters. Um, if there's, you know, sinkholes or some kind of washing, fill them in and, you know, try to control how the water runs or try to control that erosion. Um, but other than filling them in, I don't have any other magical answers, unfortunately.
0: We have a question from Debbie in our live audience. She has four acres that she's planning to divide into horse pastures. Is it better to have some small pastures along with one or two large ones, or all small or just a couple large? She has one horse and will possibly have two.
1: Yeah, so she, that's a great question. And she's in a position where her one horse will not be able to keep up with that pasture growth. So she needs to buy more horses. That's what everyone wants to hear, right? Um, Or even, even you know, if she has a friend with a horse, um, you know, with four acres, she should be able to support a a couple horses. You know, it's best to divide. What I would do is have four half-acre pastures, um, or you know, two two two-acre pastures. Of course, fencing and the cost of fencing is a real concern, but really, only your perimeter fence needs to be permanent. Your divider fences. Um, you know, can be a, a single strand of high visibility, you know, wire fence, smooth wire fence or tape fence or something that is horse safe. Um, but again, as long as a perimeter fence is really sturdy, your, your dividing fences, it, you know, can be a little less as long as it's horse safe. So, again, I would either go with two two-acre pastures or four half-acre pastures, whatever is easiest.
0: And using the tape, does it make sense to, since it's a temporary fence, to move those fences to create your pastures? Or would you recommend just dividing it and using it how it's divided?
1: You know, the, the, a, a lot of um, intense dairy farms will move that fence every day and even beef producers. But that's a lot of work and you have to be home, right? And most horse owners have to have a job to support their horse habit where if you're grazing beef cattle or dairy cattle, that is usually your livelihood in your home or you have people hired to do that. So I I think it's more practical to, you know, put up more semi-permanent or permanent um, fence lines and then just rotate accordingly and leave the fence where it's at.
0: Okay. Well, unfortunately that is all the time that we have for tonight. I want to thank Dr. Martinson for joining us. You had some really great answers to some really uh, thought-provoking pasture questions from our audience tonight.
1: They were good Yes, fun. well, thanks for having me. This was awesome.
0: Yeah, really good questions and great responses from you. Uh, for everyone who's listening live, I hope you can join us next time. Until then, from all of us at, at the horse, have a great night.